Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. The world today can feel overwhelming, complicated, overloaded, moving at warp speed. So what do kids need to thrive so that they can catch their breath before facing the next hurdle? They cope gracefully with ups and downs. They they bend, not break. My next guests provide 10 essential actionable strategies that we can use to raise kids who can, who can roll with the punches, connect, deal with frustration, bounce back, and ultimately thrive. For this, you're going to be talking to my new friends, Kathy, Mm -hmm. Heather, and Jennifer. Catherine McCarthy, MD, is a Duke-trained child and adolescent psychiatrist with nearly 25 years of clinical experience. Heather Tedesco, PhD, is a licensed applied psychologist with a PhD in social psychology, works exclusively with parents in her practice. And Jennifer Weaver, LCSW, has been named one of the best child therapists by Washingtonian Magazine. So we've got one of the best here, everybody. What a team they make. Welcome to the three of you to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks, Robin. Thank you. Before we jump on in, I just want to take a moment to ask you, what lights you up and energizes you? This is Heather. I have to say fall because Mm -hmm. I love to go for walks and the air has turned and it's magnificent. It is. I'm going to say music because um, that's something that since I was little was really important to me. And actually, I stopped focusing much on for a while during my parenting working journey. And I'm getting back into it now that my kids are older. And it's Jennifer, is it playing music, singing music or listening to music? All those things. I do three of those things. You and I can have a singing group together. (laughs) Right. We'll make a little band. Woohoo! Okay. And what about you, Kathy? Well, uh, it sounds, I don't mean it in a snotty way because I travel like a college student, literal. Still like, like with a I, backpack? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I do. They, do they, they, they know, they've seen, people have to be around me. They decide whether they're going to travel with me. So I'd rather travel far and wide for next to nothing um, mm-hmm. and see more places. And I like being going to places where people don't know me and I just get to just be Kathy. Yes. So yes. we all have books that, have come out in a similar time. You guys, oh my goodness. Listen, people, there's this amazing book. I don't know. Raising a kid who can, like from the cover, you're like, oh, this looks like it's going to be a nice book. Then you open it up. The book is stunning. It is gorgeous. It is laid out beautifully. It is easy to read. It's incredibly accessible. So all of you parents and leaders and and teachers who are listening, you're going to want to get this book. It's just really beautifully done. I have had to talk to kids about anything uh, October 10th. And I'm so excited that these books have come out into the world and and really speak to each other in so many ways. I have uh, my first chapters on emotions. I've got a chapter on talking to kids about failure 
failure and mistakes. You're starting to see some synergy here. You know, you have all of these throughout your book. So let's start with something that's essential, which is getting rest, recreation, and routine. And I like this because I don't think we talk enough about routine, like rest, you hear like, oh, okay, don't forget to rest. You don't, you know, we have to recharge. People are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't do it, but they, they've heard it before. Recreation. We know that kids are supposed to get uh, about an hour of, of moderate to major activity per day. We've, we've heard this, but routine, I feel like we don't really get into this. I like this idea of routine. And I think people sometimes don't think of it as an essential because it sounds kind of mundane and uninteresting, but the science actually says that routine is important. So let's talk about some of the strategies for routine, like your to-do to ta-da, look at the list that you have, your chores, your micro movement, your other things we should talk about to kids about putting into their every day or every week. You said it doesn't have to be every day. How can we we start talking about these types of routines with kids and what should we be saying and putting in there? Well, you, Jennifer, you want to go first? I was just going to, gonna, yeah, I was just going to say that um, one of the things we like about routine is that it um, saves the brain a lot of energy. Mm. And I know Kathy had talked much more about that energize wise, but if we've got some routines built in, then we have a lot more energy for other cool things we want to do in our lives. Mm. And, and if we can look at, and so much of the book says this in different ways, as I, I know you do, is that if we threw actions without saying, oh, we're going to do this, or this is going to be our chart <laughs> that for our family lasted like a day. But, you know, chart, you know, guess but, what? <laughs> but but the, through our actions, having a rhythm, whether, you know, that's why we all, we, we, we like holidays, you know, parts of holidays, just things that we can expect mm. that so much is uncertain. And even in, if you look at the data about what happened to brains in the pandemic from the MRI mm. study that started before and then continued after, routine was really important. Not not rigidity, not like, oh, now we do this, now we do this, but having some rhythm. So we're not just like in the cave where they would study circadian rhythms in the dark for 25 to see you know, when we sleep or wake. So having doing things with family first in a way that is action first more than words. So seeing parents that exercise at this time each day, the rhythm of each day through actions and then making it present, you know, gives, makes it less you do this while I sit here and do my work. Mm, Kathy, it's so interesting that you say that. I just had this conversation with my child the other day because they started going to the gym. They're 13 and 14. They just started going to the gym um, at the Y. And yeah. and my husband and I go to the gym every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, not the same gym, like a different gym. And I was I was saying to them, because I'm starting to see, like they get home from school, they're like, rah, rah, I don't really want to go. And I totally get that. I mean, who does? Like there are days where I'm like totally the same. And I've actually said to them, the reason why dad and I go Monday, Wednesday, Friday is because otherwise we wouldn't go. Like we know we're going Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We know we're going to that 8.30 class. And yeah. so when I get up in the morning and I have that voice inside my head that is like, Ugh, yeah. so don't want to do this. Yeah. yeah, I just know that it's part of what I do. And if I don't yeah. go, people will be like, where were you? Okay. And I also would be like, my body would not feel so good because yeah. it's so used to it. So would you agree with that, that part of that routine 
saves us from the no? Yes. Yes. That what that is exactly that is exactly it. You you've just touched on all of these motivation hacks. Ooh, I like that. Yay. Another chapter in your book, by the way. Yeah. 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 Pre pre pre-commitment using routine as a way not to have to ask yourself, do (laughs) I feel like doing this? Um, all of those things are enormously helpful for exercise, but for lots of our our lives. Mm, this that is so great and thank you for bringing that up i i was curious about your chapter or the piece on attention and self-control mainly because you know we got to deal with that and we've got we've got kids a lot of us have to deal with that we've got neurodiversity a lot of people have to deal with that and and building that attention and and self-control skills you talk about speaking your process out loud the stress bucket, again, so well illustrated, noticing judgment, transitions. There's so many good things. What would you say are some of your like top favorite skills in this section uh, of, of what you really want kids to know and do that can help them with self-control and attention? So, We think that self-control and attention, they're somewhat different, but they're also, you know, obviously extremely tied to each other. And one of the things we know is that when our judgment, when we start to self-criticize or when, frankly, we criticize our kids around these things and become frustrated with it, that actually gets in the way of attention and self-control because now they've got this other fight or flight system turned on. Mm -hmm. They're going to have less attention, less self-control. So step one actually is paradoxically accept the self-control and attention you currently have in the moment. And sometimes we talk about it like the weather of like, sometimes it's rainy, sometimes it's sunny. And we really want kids to tune into themselves and notice, is this a time that I've got a lot of juice and, or or do I need to actually eat a sandwich first? Or do I need to walk around the block? Or, you know, do I need to actually put this task off until tomorrow? Being able to tune in and know where you actually are Mm -hmm. is absolutely the first step in, again, paradoxically growing your attention and self-control. But we do have also beyond that, after the acceptance part, some good tips around those, those ways to stretch it just a little bit on either side. Um, and, 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 and even though it's a developmental process to help, um, help kids, um, challenge themselves to develop. I'll give you another example, actually, which is that we know that kids who can see themselves in the future, uh, have much better self-control and it's fascinating research around that and about the ability to talk to future me. We have tips about writing yourself a letter to future me, things like that. We also know that kids who can look back in the past and remember the consequences of what happened last time and aren't too optimistic. Actually, we encourage a little pessimism. You got to expect to struggle sometimes and not be derailed and surprised by it. That's just part of it too. Looking back and remembering the consequences of, of looking in the past and being able to see yourself in the future and stretching those things in both direction develops these skills. I, and I saw that talking to your future self in a couple of your chapters, and I did make note of that. I really, I really appreciate that. And so if we were to put that into practice with our kids and they are about to make 
uh, some maybe an important decision and they're thinking about how they're impacted right now. If I do this, I'll have less time with my friends. If I do this, I have to get up off this couch and I'm comfy and cozy, yeah. like whatever it might be, you know, uh, how would like, what would be the words we could say to our children to help them to think about their future self? I know that that when I'm talking to Phyllis Fagel, she's like, I love to put in, how would you feel in five hours, five days, five, you know, five months, five years. I love that. What's your strategy to kind of help kids to start to, to engage that future self thinking? Well, it, it of course depends on age as, you know, Phyllis would say hands down with the middle school age, the, in that, if you with little kids, they if you're asking them that it that itself can be a hard question. It's like yeah. I, don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm just here. I don't know. <laughs> so so much, you know. Also in the book, in different ways, and in, in, in our practice, is is thinking out loud. Yeah. And so, or you know, in in five hours when you're done with this, how are we gonna feel? You know, d- trying to help make the implicit explicit because they're you know frontal of that 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 time, you know, management, but also thinking beyond the present moment isn't there for all kids. And it just is frustrating. And then they just give you answers to just like get you to back off like, oh yeah, I'll be fine. You know? And so to be, to, to helping them be able to find those words is really important since that front part of the brain is, you know, better than when it takes a long time to grow up. Mm-hmm. So that's starting the process or giving them possibilities uh, depending on age is, is, is really important and how they might not feel like it now, but how once in it, they, they get there. No, I'm definitely feeling that way with my daughter right now. Who's in driver's ed, believe it or not. I cannot, I cannot believe it. She's four eleven, and she's <laughs> in driver's ed. Uh, so it's just comical to me to think about, you know, my daughter who I is still, you know, five in my brain, but also physically is 411 um, in driver's ed. And it's all day on Saturdays from nine to three online. And it is kind of, yeah, not the most brutal. (laughs) It's kind of brutal. I mean, I'm sorry to say, like, I I can't imagine we did not have to do that. And I'm glad they have to. And it's the science shows that it's reducing all kinds of problems on the street. And that is good. But I, you know, the idea of not wanting to do it. And I and we have had that conversation, Kathy, where we're like, you know, your future self is going to thank you for getting these out of the way because then you get to have the independence of driving and where will you go and what will you do and when you get in the car, where are you going to head and who are you going to pick up? That is really helpful to make this mind-numbing, not even mundane thing uh, doable for six whole Saturdays. No, that's, that's a lot. And that's, and that's where to have the full vision. And so sometimes with parents, I'll say, and I'll say, just get a little weird and goofy. Cause then it snaps you out of your like, uh-uh. it's like right on your hands. Like, okay, we're going to this. We got to go to the services now. And then after that, we got the brunch then we got, you know, then after that, we're going to see grandma and then we're going to go and you're going to do absolutely whatever the heck you want. And just, just write, just randomly writing it, you wipe it off, whatever, just, just so there it's visual instead of just oh. like this. And then it's like this little. You know, it's not that nice. much, but yeah. just trying to, to manage that. Cause in that moment, it feels like it's going to be forever. You know? Forever. Yeah. 
And, and something, Robin, that also can help with that, I think, is um, for us to normalize to our kids that not everything should be like instantly enjoyable and fun and, and happy. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, the, there's, yeah. We talk in our books some about dopamine and the idea that, you know, kind of the the things that give our brain the like happy little hit of, oh, this is awesome, um, are the things that we naturally gravitate to. And yet, again, when we look at like the research and motivation, you know, they actually split up sort of those instant gratification, they call them type one rewards, versus the delayed gratification rewards that take necessarily a long time to achieve, but are so deeply fulfilling when we get there. And, and learning mm. to drive is such a good example of one of those, mm. that if we just sort of acknowledge, and, you know, we talk a lot about accepting and tolerating those difficult feelings that it's okay to be bored and to hate doing something and to <laughs> still do it. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for saying that. That is that is important lesson right there that everything is not going to be so much fun. Now, given that both of our books, mine, How to Talk to Kids About Anything, yours, Raising a Kid Who Can, they both deal with confidence and I think this is such a good topic for us to discuss. I have an entire chapter based on how to talk to kids about confidence and self-esteem and body image. Those are you know, all all together uh, in one big chapter. And you have a whole chapter based on on confidence as well. And and I I would tie it in with the the conversation about independence that we both have. I had this moment that I've divulged before, but I will divulge to you. It it is it, it it's going to humble me, but but it's okay. I I one of the things I hear about my podcast is like you don't even try to pretend that you have it all together. I don't, and that's okay. And thank you to the beautiful professionals as well who also are admitting this as well. So I've had this moment that I've divulged where I realized that I had been instilling all these skills into my oldest child. She knows how to cook her own eggs and she's like, you know, making lunch and dinner and breakfast and she's you know doing all the things. She's like, she's like using power tools. Like it's all, she's good, right? She's navigating the airports and she's taking us where, where do we need to go? We're in New York. Like we're going uptown, we're going downtown. You take me, okay? And I purposely did that and it's so important for confidence. And uh, so I, I realized that I hadn't been doing this with my youngest. Now, I think people will relate to this because, uh, you know, baby of the family, sometimes we do this. And this is how, how I explain it is like, I basically was just making his sandwich all the time. Like literally I was making his sandwich and metaphorically, I was making his sandwich. Like, how many times can I make this child's sandwich until I finally turned to him? And I was like, do you know how to cut bread? Because this is really important as a skill. And I actually was teaching, like had, you know, teaching him. And I went through this point where I was writing down all these skills that I felt like I needed to teach him, like before he got out of his house. Anything yeah. from like navigating an airport to yeah. planting a plant to changing the filters um, in the house, like air filters. And I got my husband on board. Like, let's you know teach him how to you know do the toilet, plunge the toilet, and do the. I, I added everything and and actually became 
a free resource on my uh, website called 118 Skills to Teach Kids by the Age of 18. Totally free. It's like a bonus for how to talk to kids about anything, but it lives on my uh, on my website. So it came to mind while I was reading your book because we know that when kids feel capable, uh, mm-hmm. they gain the competence and they gain the confidence of seeing how they can do something when they see the results. I mean, that feels good. We think we were protecting them and we think like, oh, like we're being so kind by doing all these things for them, but then they are cut off at the knees, right? So I talk about that in my book, you you talk about it in yours. We need them to mess up and get back up. We need them to, you know, get that sense of how to cook an egg and make a sandwich and take care of themselves. So if you want to help bolster independence in your child now, what would you say are some of the strategies and conversations we should be having with our kids that helps us to step back so they can step up, helps them to do more and we do less? Well, I'll I'll start with the the parent part and then let uh, Jennifer and Kathy weigh in with the conversations, because I think there is preparation internally that we parents need to do, because as you've given lots of examples, our our kids are not as good as us at doing a whole lot of things, especially when they're beginners. And it can be very difficult, especially when we're feeling time pressure and stress and all of the things that come with everyday life to make enough space to allow our kids to become competent and to become more independent. And so there's, we have some questions in in each chapter, in each essential in the book to, to sort of take a little look at yourself as a parent, because we know firsthand that, you know, it's not always clean and free. Like we want our kids to be independent and we kind of like being needed a little bit. And so there's a lot of push and pull. And so I think that um, as a parent to do a little internal assessment and a little pre-planning exactly as you have with your list of all of these skills. Um, it's, it, that's step one. It reminds me of the Henry story that you tell in the book, Heather. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have three kids and and my youngest, uh, much as you said, Robin, you know, I was really on it, you know, with my first child and, <laughs> yeah. you know, all of these intentions. And then, you know, you just get tired and life gets busy. And anyway, I, I happen to have a very strong willed, lovely third child who has kept me very honest. And so I was giving him all of these things. He was doing his laundry. He was sorting his laundry at a very young age all seemed good, except that he decided that sorting laundry was silly and socks in particular should not match. Why would anyone care? It didn't matter. And so for many years, I had to, you know, kind of look at him in what were truly like wildly different (laughs) socks. I'm sure on purpose, or at least it certainly felt to my, you know, power struggly self, like, you know, this is on purpose. He's trying to get to me. And, you know, I, I like really tried to do all of those like subtle parental interference things to make him match his (laughs) socks for years until I, I overheard him telling a friend of ours that uh, his mismatched socks were his signature style. Oh, there you and go. And that he was saving 5.5 hours a year by not bothering to match his socks. And and wow. of course that makes sense, but but it was like a knife to the heart when I was like, all right, I care more about matched socks than I do his pride in himself. Oh, bad man. bad moment, but you know, I've, we've got many of them. Yeah, humbling as we say. Yeah. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, your your list and uh, it just sounds. I just, that's what I'm going to do and make my next patient wait. When is find your website? Oh <laughs> yes, because it's that it just it is that just everything. Oh and, my gosh, and, yes. And the, you know the the competent when people you know you know for best best reasons and honor with coming in to ask us to you know can you help with my kids' confidence? You know I it's, it's really, it's, it's, but it's through competence. That's right. You know, when my dad, you know, taught me how to change my oil and gave me ramps for my birthday, I thought that was the most loser thing ever. But then I could meet guys because I could change their oil. I had ramps and the captain, the football team's like, I hear you have some ramps. Great ramps. I was like, I got the best ramps, but you know, and I, I'll change. Oh my gosh. It's an amazing story. I mean, that is so good. And then like uh, any of the dads are like listening in and like note to self not to do that. I don't. <laughs> or, or do. I'll do. Yeah, I know. No, do, I was definitely. really shy. It helped a lot. Moving yes. Oh, that's awesome. Guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it. And then one other thing that um, we might mention around this, uh, um, get developing adulting skills is I think we have to let go of some of the old messages that certainly my generation or my father and mother taught me, which is this idea of if there's something worth doing, it's worth doing well. And certainly that's true. That's a very important idea, but it's not always true. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes is getting in the way of some of these kids with their more perfectionistic tendencies and feeling like, and so then they don't want to do things because they know they won't do them well, or we're giving them feedback that they're not doing it well for sure they collapse and then you know so i do think we need to shift also and we talk about this a little and uh, around can it be good enough and is it okay to get a b minus on some things around whether it's sorting socks or or changing your oil for the first time Mm. or whatever can you just be or going to driver's ed can she get on that computer and pay 80 percent attention Mm -hmm. And not be so hard on herself that it's not the most interesting thing and do a good enough job. Mm. Uh, We we need to teach kids the flexibility around that, that it doesn't all have to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. it starts with us because Mm -hmm. it hurts us a little. We think that we're teaching them something that's bad for them. That they should just kind of phone it in sometimes. But in fact, in real life, sometimes you got to just phone it in. I think that is such an important thing that you're bringing up uh, because uh, I think everybody does feel like it needs to be perfect. And we have this mentality that everything needs to be done the fastest and the best and the biggest. And and that puts us in this, the situation that we're in. My son was sitting at dinner with me the other day and he said, can you can you cut this for me? Like you, I literally did like do the wrong thing for quite a while. And, and I said to him and gave him a knife and I said, you're perfectly capable of, of doing this and you have to be okay at it before you can get good at it. And you're right. Like I'm really good at it because I've done it a lot and yeah. you have to start doing it a lot to get really good at it. You've done it. Like obviously cutting, cutting his own food. That's like probably on the list there. Um, and it's one of those things that we have to get out of our own way. Partly it used to be, okay, well, safety wise, we're the ones who have the knife. Okay. Then it gets to the point where like, they really need to be using their own knife because you don't want to send your your child off to college, not knowing how to use one. You also don't want to send your child off to college without having cashed out at a, a grocery store or 
put gas in the car or whatever else is on your list. And that's why I'm going through this list. I'm just making sure. And it is one of those conversations with yourself, as you mentioned early on, Heather, that you need to be able to say to yourself, yes, it can be good enough. Yes, the bread is going to be lopsided when he cuts it. And that's okay. And it may not be done perfectly well. And he may drop some of the turkey on the floor. Like all these things could happen, but you have to be okay at something before you can get good at it. So we're just going to keep going with it. So let's talk about, let's talk a little bit more about motivation. And we talked about it a little bit before, but some kids are not motivated to do what you want them to do. Okay. So like, let's just talk about that elephant in the room. We can give kids really cut the meat, cut the, cut the bread, you know, navigate, whatever. Like, okay. Yeah. I, okay. You're laughing at me, Kathy, but you know, you no, know, I'm, that, I'm with you. Right? I'm with, with you. Me. We <laughs> are sharing the brain right now. Okay. I'm just, yeah, no, no, the I'm elephant so in the room, right. Because yeah. the people like we've got parents listening, we've got teachers listening, we've got coaches listening and they're mm-hmm. like, Hey, I am on it with you with like the 118 skills. Like I'm there with your chapter about confidence and independence and Dr. Robin, you're on confidence and self-esteem, but body image, like totally a yes. But what happens when these kids are not motivated to do the things, to try the new things, to, you know, do whatever strategies and things you've wanted? What are some of your very best strategies and scripts. And I know we've talked about future self, which is an awesome one. And we should definitely read more about that, um, that you can use with kids to help them dig deep and engage that motivation. Yeah. Heather, you want to go? And then I have something. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, cause I get this question all the time from parents, uh, and, and the truth is that our kids, everyone's motivated. The question is at what? And so a lot of times we have to look and say, okay, you know, we want them to do X, Y, and Z, but there's no reason that cutting your own food is intrinsically motivating. And so (laughs) I think if we can look at that, not as a failure of our child um, or as disrespect, which is something I often hear from parents that they take it personally, which again, we all do. I do it too. But if we can look at our child and sort of see the best in them and and notice where they are a motivated, competent person, that's step one, because they have to feel that from us. That's the acceptance piece we talk so much about before they're going to be even remotely willing to you know, entertain any of these non-intrinsically motivating things to them that we want them to do. Um, and so one of our best parenting t- tips is curiosity. For sure. Like be truly curious. And, and again, you know, I have three kids who are almost all grown and I can say that this sounds easy and it's incredibly hard to do because they're constantly changing. And so even if I think I'm on it, you know, I would get frozen in time. Oh, you enjoy this. Oh, wait a minute. No, I don't. I've moved on. So, you know, we, even if we think we're curious and open, it's so easy for us to layer in either our expectations or our hopes and dreams. Our brains love to go to the future. Our kids, not so much. And, you know, just trying to be curious about them and, and look for what lights them up and start there. Love it. You, from from the parent from looking at the parent perspective, even though um, you know Heather's the parent expert, when we look at ourselves, we get we get so anxious. We're wired to be anxious when our kids are anxious because that's that's what all mammals um, do do, and mm-hmm. just 
it's contagious and we want to relieve suffering, but we get in this climate super anxious when they're not motivated and our own catastrophic thinking goes to, oh, and how are they going to manage school? How are they going to manage life? How are they going to do their laundry? Yes. How they, and, and so we, we are, our anxiety when they're just like not feeling like putting away the Legos, you know, is, is going further out. It's like, well, they just never, and then it's like, well, they never put away anything. How they, yeah. Ever going to do anything. And so looking oh, yeah. at what is the meaning of our worry of this motivation? Now, some kids truly have trouble with doing things that are hard or that they don't want to do. They just, they have neuro, whether neurotypical differences, developmental, or they've had bad times with school. And so they just feel horrible about themselves at school, feel horrible about yourself. You don't want to do it. And that's where that curiosity comes in. But looking in the mirror, some about why am I so worried about this, that this is going to be, and looking at the long game, because everything else, energetic, fun, when we're on vacation, summer, pool is is good. It's just school for you. You know, I'm just making an example. Mm -hmm. uh, just like we are anxious about being anxious, anxious about the bigger picture of motivation. Mm, well, I call that pre-worried, by the way. Yeah. You become pre-worried. That's so good. Great phrases. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 that's, yeah, that's when I'm talking to parents and in the book or whatever, I'd sort of call it pre-worried because, yes. <laughs> and, and I do it myself. Like you do it, like you're driving in the car and all of a sudden your mind goes to like the fact that your child, you know, maybe didn't do well on something or didn't study well or, and you, you know, Hey, to your point, Jennifer, with your like 80%, okay, fine. But then you still oh my goodness, my child's going to be 80% all the time or 70% or 60%. And, and, and then all of a sudden they're like married with kids and they're not picking up, you know, their, 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 their side of the, 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 the chores. And you're like, that's my fault because I didn't have them pick up the Legos that one time. And that is pre-worried. That is so pre-worried. <laughs> that was like a little kabuki play pre-worried. <laughs> Because yeah, we all have to do things we, we don't want to, and to be thinking out loud, like, I really don't feel like going to work today, or yeah. I don't feel like doing this. I don't, gosh, I just can't stand that we have to do things that we can't stand. And even if you, like, they're not even looking at you, so every once in a while they pick up something, just admitting that we all have to do things we can't stand, have no motivation for. And we also have weirdly high expectations for our children to be evenly motivated about everything, to be as motivated in calculus as they are in pottery class as they are. And everyone's different. And real adult life is not like that. We don't expect that from ourselves. So I also think that there's something to be said for um uh, in terms of the pre-worry, to to <laughs> recognize that, in fact, as long as they're motivated about some things, and honestly, that thing could actually be video games, even though that's one of the most anxiety, you know, that yeah. is, so it is highly motivating. There are a lot of issues with that. We address that in our book. I know you do too. There's a lot of concerns around these things. However, it is that, um, that, uh, the motivation's in there. And um, as we get older, we're able to channel that more and more into, into things. And so that curiosity that Heather's talking about helps to be able to actually talk to the kid about the video game you have zero interest in. Well, how does that work? Well, do you work with other people? Well, what did you, how did you mm -hmm. learn how to do that thing? 
And it's hard because you have to keep up and sometimes it's boring. I can't tell you how many times I've, and this is true in child therapy too. I can't tell you how many times people have described uh, Minecraft to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you have to enter into their world if you that's want right. to talk to that's them. That's right. right. Because yeah. that's where the juice is. That's, that's where it. you hear their motivation and you get excited with them and they can feel it too. You know, we have a study in our book about how there are um, all these kids that were naturally motivated to do art, little kids, mm -hmm. and they took half of them and they started to uh, reward them. Oh, yes. Art. And then those kids actually did less art than the kids mm -hmm. you didn't reward in the first place. Mm -hmm. really being connected as opposed to rewarding. Yeah, somebody once said, I was to, they said it to me and, and to my friend Kathleen Hassan, who's this great speaker. Uh, and they said, you have to bring them, you have to go through their door if you want to bring them oh, through yours. Lovely. And and that really stuck with me. And I know it stuck with, it stuck with my friend Kathleen too. And it, it just, it really helps you to understand that you can't like, just like force them to do things that they don't want to do. Just like you don't want to be. And you want people to ask you like, what's interesting to you? And why did you do it that way? Like when people are curious about how, you know, what made you write this book and tell me like a little bit more about your relationship and tell me more about like what inspires you and what lights you up. Like that's good stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you find the synergy, right? Then you find, you know, what you're going to talk about. And you're like, this is where the fun is. If you're sitting there trying to like force them through your door and they're kicking and screaming, even if you get them through it, they're not happy to be there. They're not motivated and they certainly don't want to cooperate. So yeah, that's yeah. not always a great strategy. It's so cool that you started our conversation with asking us what lights us up and that all three of us had things that had nothing to do with yes. our specifically our book or our topic. So, yeah, yeah it puts people at ease. I had this, the, the head of um, UNC child psychiatry years ago um, was this guy, an army surgeon back in a couple of the wars and just kind of wildly end up as a child psychiatrist here. We did another residency. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'd come in for supervision about how this kid won't talk to me, it's been like five sessions. She'd give me the stink eye. And I got to teach the skills and got to get an assessment. He'd say, he's like, build the bridge. Build the bridge. Build the bridge. It's like the, the doors I love. It's just like, build the bridge. It could take a year to build that bridge, Kevin. You know, but it just build it because that's the only way and that's what heather you know is, says so beautifully in the book about and 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 in her work about about the connection first you know for motivation but i love that about the doors mm -hmm. yeah heather when you're when you're dealing with the connection piece don't you feel like that is to me it's like the piece that's missing so much right now yeah and because people will ask me what's different right now to me, it is such the issue. And people are like, oh, it's the screens, the screen. No, I mean, yeah, part of things. Yeah, sure. Screens are part of it. But this disconnection that's happened in our kids between parents and kids, between kids and kids, when we don't have that connection. And the young people have said in studies that they don't feel like they have at least three adults to turn to in a time of need or challenge. I always encourage parents and, and, and teachers and bus drivers and everybody to be one of the three, just be one of the three, because this connection is what, what is helping so much. What, what do you say about that, Heather? 
Yeah, it's so what you just said is so important because, you know, we all want our kids to be resilient, for example, and you right. just hit on it. Um, one of the key ingredients to being resilient is feeling connected to some trusted adults in your life. And, you know, I think every parent has the best intentions. I have never met a parent who isn't absolutely doing everything in their power for their kids. But I think we've gotten a little bit twisted as, you know, kind of a whole society about what that means, because we're so achievement focused and sort of performance and measurable and all of these things that we've lost, I think, what is our essence. We are social animals. That is like kind of what we define human beings as. And with our kids, I always say that's the joy, that connection piece between, you know, person to person, parent to child, et cetera. But we really, you know, what does the rest of it matter, right? Um, ultimately, we want our kids to, if we want our kids to thrive and grow into to adults, you know, I, I used to ask parents to describe their adult to me, um, you know, their future adult, and then sort of reflect back to them that they weren't talking about all of their successful achievements that would go on their resume, they were talking about their relationships. Mm. And so I, I could not agree more. All of us feel so strongly that the the person to person connection and the more we can remind ourselves and encourage our kids that all of this technology stuff is awesome and it has its place, but it shouldn't supersede or interfere with our ability to be together and just be and spend time with one another face to face. So you've been in my car before. <laughs> um, give us your top tip. What do you want people to come away with after listening to this podcast and reading your book? Uh, I, I don't, I think we, well, we could say that we talked about it here. Well, in many ways, whether um, implicit, but to view things that seem like they're setbacks, you know, whether trouble with motivation or a certain circumstance as for kids to start to see that that's where that's it's, it's the, those, those can be the setups. It's the digging out that matters. It's a digging out. It's learning to dig out of when things stink. It's a digging out that sets you up. Beautiful. Okay. I'll go. Um, I have, I, I did not come up with this quote. I wish I knew who did originally, but it's for me, the words that I've tried to live by, which is to prepare your child for the road, not the road for your child. Mm -hmm. And I come back to that when I'm sort of, am I, am I on the right track or not? And I sort of ask myself, is this going to make my child more capable and stronger in themselves? Or am I trying to stage manage, you know, accidentally? Right. It's a good one. Jess Leahy says parenting for the long haul. And I think about that a lot. Okay. What about you, Jennifer? Um, we talk a lot in the book about adaptability and how important it is in 21st yes. century skills that actually there's, it's probably more and more as AI comes on board with climate change, with mm -hmm. all the fast paced changes that are happening. We're in the age of acceleration. It's, you know, literally the, you know, it's the Anthropocene. So what we need are kids that are less uh, like technically able to do things and more flexible and adaptable mm. with whatever comes along. So yeah. when we talk about achievement or IQ, like the less of a focus on the IQ and more of a focus on AQ, which is like a buzzy business word, but yeah. we'd like to adapt as adaptability quotient is what we really want to focus on. Mm. Yeah. I showed my son a couple of pages on that last night from your book on adaptability. And it happened to be coinciding with another interview that 
I had done today with Eileen Kennedy Moore, who does work in kids friendships and and talked about adaptability and flexibility as one of the number one things that people look for in kids. If you are an adaptable person, then you're just going to be more successful in all these areas of your life. She was talking about in friendships and relationships and connections in that way, but it really can apply to all things. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the great work you're doing? We have a website at www.raisingakidwhocan.com and you'll find all kinds of things about the book there and you can sign up and even get a chapter from the book uh, emailed to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. And they're also obviously on Instagram and all over the social media. I'll have all of your links in the show notes. So anybody who's like riding around right now or running while listening to this, good for you. Well done. All right. Good motivation. Um, and if you're just, you know, not in a position to be able to write things down, no problem. We got you. We got it in the show notes. And I just want to thank you all for being on the show today. This was so much fun. And I think we should absolutely do it again. We should do it in a lot of different places and in a lot of different formats. This is great. I hope you enjoyed it too. Oh my gosh. What a great. pleasure. Thank you so much. It's so fun. All right. Well, everybody, I've got my takeaways. I bet you, you have yours too. So let's discuss them. You can go up onto Facebook at the Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can chat about it at Twitter, which is actually X now. I don't even know why they changed it given they can say formally Twitter because it's a little silly, but that's what we're doing. Also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman, I'm going to be going back and forth with these fabulous people about all the great things that they said. We'll slap some of those things on memes. We can share it with friends. You could say, listen to this podcast. And by the way, oh, we don't charge for this podcast. So could you please, if you would, if you love this podcast like I did, if you'll go to iTunes and rate and review it, give those five-star reviews. People will learn more about these fabulous people you just heard about. And they will also learn more about my podcast. And then you can share it with friends. The best compliment you can give me is to share this podcast with friends as we are churning through on our way to 3 million downloads. Like, let's keep going, people. I love my loyal listeners. I appreciate you. And I would appreciate you getting the word out. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I'm so excited. I'll probably be coming to a city near you to talk about my book, How to Talk to Kids About Anything. So exciting. I might be doing a book signing near you. Maybe I'm speaking somewhere. Let's find out. Let's hang out. Let's, you know, get that book signed. Thank you so much. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know. You probably heard something today and you're like, oops, I just messed up. Okay. I remember that conversation. I did not say what they said I should say. Okay. That's all right. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's typically a tomorrow. And these podcasts remind us that, yeah, we probably do need to have some do-overs. Parenting typically provides the ultimate do-over. So you can start today. You can start now. If you messed up, you can get back up. You could try again. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. 
For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.